Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Adam Levine to my Avril Levine. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. It's, uh, it's been an interesting week of absolutely no football. Uh, underwhelming and uh, an incredible amount. Yeah, it's uh, Yeah, it's been good. Doesn't sound that interesting at all, really, Justin. No, no it, it it really isn't. It's been a, a week without football. It's, it's so difficult to just sort of find things to do. Like, for example, I spent my Saturday. I, I went into a city centre. I went to a H and M, and I regretted every single moment of that. You lived the typical weekend of every bloke across the country who. <laughs> has to try and find something to do on a weekend. And more often than not, in most cases, that's following around their partner who has no interest in football. Well, to give some benefit of the doubt, partner does have some interest in football, but I needed to get a new shirt and I got a new shirt. So it was a success. But would I rather have watched football all day? Absolutely. Can she name the whole Wickham team from the 2021-2022 season? If she can't, then she has no interest in football in my book. Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This episode is part two of a two-parter where we're ranking the summer transfer business of all 24 clubs in the championship. In this show, we'll go through the 12 teams who we think have had the best transfer window this past summer. Our bottom 12 came out on Thursday, so please make sure you listen to that episode as well. We'll also talk some of the news from the past few days, including, of course, Paul Warren leaving Rotherham. And then we'll finish off with a good old game of Scott High or Ryan Lowe at the end. So we'll kick things off with the team we have 12th in our table, Justin, of the teams who have had the best summers in the Championship. Who have we got in 12th? We've gone with Blackburn and... It could have been a lot worse for Rovers, considering that they had quite a slow start to uh, to the summer. Obviously, John Tall Thompson, I would argue, came in quite late. Greg Broughton, the director of football, sporting director, came in relatively late as well. So they had to play catch-up in some sense. And they got some good business done. Obviously, if those two were in place a lot sooner, I think the summer would have been a lot better. Um, but considering they lost the likes of Daryl Lenahan, Ryan Niambe, um I always forget other players that have departed. Um, Rothwell. Yeah, Rothwell, sorry. Yeah, Rothwell's with the other one. And obviously the lone players going back to their parent clubs. It could have been a lot worse, but actually signing the likes of Dominic Hyam um, for a relatively low fee was a good signing. I think Callum Pritton's a really good pickup as well. Once he gets going, he will be a really, really good signing. Sammy Schmodix is, I think, it's the only one I've got question marks on. Um, and I think the loan signings they brought in, Clinton Moller, I think is a good, versatile player, good, young, versatile player. Tyler Morton brings something else to the midfield. And George Hurst is a big handful as well. So they've got some good options, maybe a lack of depth in some areas. But overall, I think a relatively good summer. That could have been a lot better, um, but also could have been a lot worse. Yeah, I think it could have been an absolutely disastrous window for them considering the players they lost and considering how late in the window the business came for them it could have it could have gone very wrong couldn't it but they brought in Callum Britton from Barnsley who I think is a very very sensible signing as well as Dom High I'm, I'm trying not to repeat what you've said Justin but <laughs> overall I just completely agree with what you've said and Tyler Morton I think has looked a solid signing on loan from Liverpool he's a good young deep-lying playmaker um 
So I think it's been a solid window. My view is it could have been a brilliant window if they sold Brereton Diaz for 10 million, reinvested it back into the squad. But here we are. Um, I don't think they could have asked for much more considering he's only got a year left on his contract, but they could have maybe brought in two or three more players for a couple of million. And then they could have really built themselves a very well-rounded squad. That's what I would have done. Blackburn fans may disagree, but here we are. But overall, I'd say it's been a solid window for Blackburn. I don't think the supporters will be uh, too upset with how it's gone at all. Um, Justin, in 11th, we have Cardiff. Now, Justin spent most of the summer waxing lyrical about Cardiff's transfer window. So I'm more than more than happy to let him take the lead on this one. <laughs> Okay, let's completely ignore the fact that Steve Morrison's now left Cardiff City. Um, a squad was being built around a possession style of play, as well as uh, an ability to press high and last a full 90 minutes. They had a major issue last season in the sense that they had a very old squad, a squad that wasn't very mobile, and um, a squad that uh, there was a lot of high earners that needed to be moved on um, and, the, and the club needed to refresh. And I think they did that this summer um, and they probably had two transfer windows in one transfer window, if that makes sense. Yeah, they brought in a lot of players um, that typically you'd expect a club to do that business over two windows. Fortunately, they got it done in one window and I think that's sort of airing to their issues this season. A lot, lot of the teething issues, and that's, uh, that's absolutely normal, I think. Um but I think going back to the personnel that they brought in, I think Shea Ojo, for example, I think he's got a lot of unfulfilled potential potential in that in that final third. I think if he gets going, he could be a very good signing. Callum Robinson is a great addition, as we've already spoken about before. Can play all across that um, that front three, which is a really handy uh, a handy thing for Cardiff. I think Callum O'Dowda fits into that category of unfulfilled potential, even though he is getting into his peak years he's got a lot of potential he still needs to live up to and he has done that in, in, in parts this season and then there are the other players Cedric um, Cedric Kipre um, again he's another solid signing at this level Jamila Collins until he got injured was probably the best left back in the division um, Abu Adams again is another player and and Andy Rinomoto actually uh, they're, they're good high energy players who fit two or three different systems that Cardiff could deploy. And then Romain Soyes is a really good possession player. And then I think the rest of the players that have been brought in are very good squad additions. Um, I think the only frustration over the, the summer is they weren't able to bring in another number nine. Um, I'd argue that this Cardiff team is, is lacking another number nine, but that could be addressed in January. But for me, I think Cardiff have had a really good summer. As I say, they fitted two windows into one, which is an absolute yeah bargain, I think. I think it's been fairly good. I think there were some good signings in there. Callum Robinson... Could end up being a massive coup for just two million. Um, Jamalou Collins, as you say, was fantastic before he got injured. Kipre, solid defender. Andy Rinomota, solid player. The rest of them, I think, were just quantity over quality for me. And that, I think the Cardiff squad right now is probably around the, in the table, around the level where I think it will end up being coming the end of the season. Um, it'll be interesting to see who the manager gets in because a new manager, if it's a good appointment, could get more out of the players there. Um, but overall, I think it's just a fairly good window. And the summer could have gone very wrong for them, considering the number of players they had heading out the door. But it's ended up being all right. Not great by any means, just good. Um, in 10th, Justin, we have Birmingham City. Now, I still don't have high hopes for Birmingham this season. But things aren't looking 
anywhere near as perilous as they did at the start of the window. A month before the season started, they only had 16 senior players and four of them were deemed expendable last season. So they were another club that needed players through the door to have any chance of competing and to have any chance of not just being bottom all season. And they did that. The big highlight is Tav Chong coming in on a permanent deal. I'm still not sure how Birmingham have managed to pull that off, but it's a brilliant signing, especially for one and a half million, which I think is the reported fee. Um, Christian Bielik should really be playing near the top of the championship in my book. If he avoids injury, he's a Premier League player for me. Unfortunately, that's a big if, but so far he's managed to escape unscathed. Another big positive has been the performances of John Ruddy, which I wasn't expecting from him, but he's been in great form. In the first 10 games, I thought his career was winding down, but he's shown he's still got plenty of life in the old dog yet. Uh, Austin Trusty has really impressed at the back as well. He's on loan from Arsenal. Elsewhere, Dion Sanderson's an all right defender. Premislaw Plahetta, um, a winger who drifts in and out of games, more out than in, if you ask me. Uh, but he has his moments. Um, I, I need to see more of Hannibal Medry. Uh, Madri, sorry from Manu before I cast a judgment on him. But the bottom line is this window has made Birmingham a competitive side when I was worried this might be a long, long season for them, Justin. Yeah, I completely agree with pretty much everything you said. I will add in the, the, you know, the, the caveat that I think Bielik is probably where he should be um, in the sense that his form last season for Derby tailed towards the end of, the, end of their campaign. Um, he did seem like he was in. still carrying some sort of an injury, yeah. didn't he? Well, that's what I mean. I, I think that's completely normal. So for him to go to a club um, in, in, in Birmingham City's shoes where they need to once again fight, um, very hard to get their results. They don't have a deep squad. Bielik's going to be relied upon quite quite heavily. If he can come out of the other side of this season playing 30-plus games, it'd have been a very good year for him. Um, and again, John Ruddy, I think, is another goalkeeper who uh, another player sorry who's been a massive coup for for Birmingham and it just make you wonder you know the likes of West Brom or uh, even Hull to an extent who needed a goalkeeper why they didn't go for him because he's arguably one of the, uh, the best goalkeepers in the league this season um but it it could have been a it could have been a summer where it was an absolute disaster for Birmingham there was one point where John Eustace only had a handful of players to work with in pre-season um and if they keep their starting 11 fit and Scott Hogan is um prolific enough uh, and Dini contributes as well I think Birmingham will avoid relegation but it hangs on a lot of ifs uh, I think but yeah really really good summer could have been terrible it was actually quite solid um, and if they can limp to January and add some more players in then it'd have been a very good first half of the season I'm still thinking they'll be fighting at the bottom end of the table this season, but it's definitely ended up being a positive window for Blues without a doubt in ninth we have Sunderland's now I really like what Sunderland have done, despite quite a few players coming in. It's not been a massive overhaul of the squad, has it? The two players who have had the biggest impact have been Ellis Sims, on loan from Everton. He's really impressed alongside Ross Stewart. But the one who's really been the cream of the crop has been Jack Clark. And so far has been, without a doubt, one of the signings of the season. And he maybe even the signing of the season, Justin. I don't think you can praise... <laughs> him enough for his performances so far because keep in mind he was bang average when he was on loan at QPR and Stoke and in fact he didn't really pull up many trees on loan at Sunderland last season either 
he could have very easily let his career slide off into the abyss. And Spurs (laughs) clearly thought there wasn't a future for him at the top level. But he's seemingly taken that personally because he's been playing out of his skin this season, playing out of position at left wing back as well. It's been phenomenal. And this is the Jack Clark we're expecting when he was at Leeds, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. He's displaying the sort of form um, that Spurs would pay £15, £20 million for a player. Um, So if he can go full circle, that'd be interesting, whatever that circle is. But yeah, he's... I think the reported figure for Clark as well was around it. If he hits all of his, um, you know, if he hits his potential, it can go up to ten million pounds, and that's actually looking like a very good investment. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's the form he's displaying is, is incredible. He's arguably, arguably been probably the best left-sided player um, in a division in the sense that left wing back, left back sort of category. Um, even though he's much better attacker than he is a defender, but their recruitment has been good all round they've got a proper long-term recruitment plan there's no sign of a whiteboard with Zlatan Ibrahimovic on the bottom of the list it's a proper proper plan and this is why I'm surprised that Alex Neil did very quickly uproots and go to Stoke and it's not a criticism of Stoke I just think Sunderland are in a much better position than them Um, and their long term looks a lot more prosperous I think than Stokes good reference with the Ibrahimovic other signings include Aji Elise, a defender who's coming from West Ham. He was excellent against Watford last weekend, so I'm looking forward to seeing more from him. Dan Ballard was a good signing before he suffered a bad injury. Jurison Bennett's an interesting one. He's a young winger who's come in from Costa Rica. He signed, well, he scored last weekend, uh, and it's led to Costa Rica flags being in the Twitter names of every Sunderland fan I see. <laughs> so definitely want to keep an eye on him. Um, and the best may be yet to come with Sunderland as well. Midfielder Edward Michu has come in from PSG on loan. He was quite highly rated there, but hasn't played a game for them yet. So it'll be interesting when he comes in. And possibly the most intriguing one of all is Ahmad Diallo. Man United spent £19 on him in January last year, which is mental considering he hasn't done anything of note particularly in that time. But there must be a player there. And for Sunderland to have him now with them in their ranks... Very, very interesting indeed. Overall, though, Tony Mowbray's got a talented young squad here, an exciting young squad. A lot of newly promoted teams come into the championship and they're simply just looking to secure their place in the division. Not Sunderland. They're building towards that push for the Premier League, aren't they? Probably not Mm -hmm. this season, but this squad will be certainly eyeing it up in the coming seasons, won't they, as you were just alluding to, Justin? In eighth place, we had Middlesbrough. Now, Middlesbrough were the one you and I disagreed over most, Justin. I actually had them top of my list for the best transfer window. Well, you had them somewhere like 15th. I personally Mm -hmm. think you've got a bit carried away with how they've started the season. But why did you not rate their window that well? I think with Middlesbrough, I'm considering... uh... A multitude of factors um, not only did they fail to hit their number one targets in pretty much every position if you look at the goalkeepers they were linked with earlier on in the transfer window before they ended up with Zach Steffen um, Dean Henderson was um, was a reported link uh, Tom Heaton as well um, and Zach Steffen was the one they settled with and he's not looked particularly comfortable Daryl Ernahan is a really good signing and I think Tommy Smith um, it is a good squad signing as well. Uh, and then uh, if you turn to the forwards, Matthew Hopp, he's been brought in and 
it's seemingly with an eye on the future. Marcus Force could be a very good striker at this level, but he's lacking consistency. Um, and again, he's, he's not got the goal record that probably justifies Middlesbrough's need for a, a striker who's going to put 15 or 20 goals in the back of the net. It's as simple as that. Their, their inability to, to attract a player who um, can do that, I think is the main worry. And I think it's Chris Wilder's main irk as well. He's he's he's, he's a frustrated figure, um, to be to be quite blunt. Um, I think Rodrigo Rodrigo Muniz again is a good signing, but as I say, I think in almost every position they try try to get a player in, they fail to get their number one target, and they've almost had to settle. Now I'm not discrediting the players that they signed. I think they signed some good players, but their inability to as as I say, um, get those players over the line that they wanted, uh, is the reason why I've got them down quite low. I very much disagree with a lot of that, Justin. For me, the squad was capable of a playoff push before, but it wasn't much more than that. It was just capable. Now, it's just about ready to go for it. And that's what makes their pool start all the more confusing. Ignoring that for a second ago, a second though, this squad is seriously packed with talent. Daryl Lenahan gets into every defence in the division. Ditto Matt Clark for me. Ryan Giles has been in phenomenal form at left wing back and has created more chances than any defender last season. And I think he's done the same again this season. He gets in just about every team in the division. Rodrigo Muniz was kept out of the team um, by arguably the greatest striker the championship has ever seen at Fulham. But otherwise, looks a good striker. Alex Maurer is a brilliantly technically gifted footballer and Marcus Force is a good finisher and was signed for just three million quid yes they could have done with another striker and the two new goalkeepers haven't been the most convincing but signing at least three players who get into most teams in the division plus some other players who are top quality represents an excellent window for me yeah but again I'm going to throw in that the difference between Middlesbrough finishing in and out of the playoffs last season was a regular goal scorer. They struggled to convert chances. They're doing exactly the same this season. Now, I'm not saying Marcus Force isn't up to it. And Matthew Hopp, again, is another player who um, is is, uh, is one for the future, but his goal record leaves a lot to be desired. Rodrigo Muniz, again, quite un, uh, a relatively untested player at this level. I know he played back up to Mitrovic, but he's 21 years old. Um Middlesbrough almost find themselves in a similar position to last season where they're relying on younger players to try and push them over the line in that final third. Yeah, but you, you, don't, not... know, you don't know with Muniz, for example. Muniz, for example, is the guy they're looking to for the goals. He's got two goals already. He could end up being the guy who scores a lot of goals for them. We said this about following Balogun last January and it wasn't the case. Did we? I'm not... Yeah, we did. We, we were... Um, we were worried that you know, whilst it was a big investment, um, you're relying on a youngster to, to to be the goal scorer for you. I just I just I just don't buy it. I feel like Middlesbrough needed to bring in a player. You know, West Brom a couple of years ago under Darren Moore, they brought in Jay Rodriguez and Dwight Gale on loan, scored forty goals between them. They needed players like that who have experience at this level, who can put away chances on a regular basis. And unfortunately, they weren't able to, to bring those in. As I say, it's not a criticism. I just don't think Millsborough were able to hit their top targets. And I think that's showing. You, you've, But in every other position, they've seemingly hit their top targets, apart from goalkeeper and striker. Yeah, Lenahan, Clark, good signings. Um, Giles, again, a good signing. Excellent but, signings. Yeah, they, they are. But... Um, it's goalkeeper and striker were the main issues for Borough last season and they were unable to 
get that sorted in, in the summer, essentially. Um, and they're still in a position where there are question marks over the goalkeeper and pop maybe even the forwards. I, th- I still think you're massively doing Rodrigo Muniz a massive disservice. I'm just <laughs> amazed that you put them below Blackburn, Bristol City, Stoke and Reading in your table. I don't see how you can justify any of that, Justin, but just did. here we are. And uh, if Middlesbrough do start moving up the table and Rodrigo Muniz is top scorer by the end of the season, I think you could very well end up with egg on your face. But there we are. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's go to seventh, where we have Norwich City. And the main reason why Norwich are somewhat quite high on this list is down to one man in particular, and that's Marcelino Nunes, midfielder who's coming from Chile. Whichever scout spotted him deserves a gigantic pay rise because he looks (laughs) a real talent, Justin. Yeah, I've, I've praised him a hell of a lot. He's such a fun player. Um, he's a high energy player. He's obviously got the technical ability that you need, and he looks a threat as well from set pieces, which is exciting. Um, yeah, he's just going to be a, a really, really fun player to watch. But I've actually got Norwich quite high on my list um, due to you know, some different reasoning, and that's down to getting players off the wage bill that they don't that didn't necessarily show a desire to to perform, but. Um, Nunez, again, I think is going to be a top, top investment for Norwich. And I, I think it was under Alex Neal, there was that um, that rationale that Norwich was struggling to attract players because of where Norwich are located. Um, and I don't think that could be considered a reason anymore because if you get two players from South America who are happy to settle in, in Norfolk, I don't think, yeah, I don't think you can blame the location for not being able to attract good players anymore. Norwich is a beautiful city. Um, <laughs> that's all I've got to say on it. Uh, but for me, Nunez, he, he just looks like a Premier League player in the making, which is a bit surprising considering he's playing as a number eight when he's only five foot eight. But his technical ability is out of this world. His passing range, fantastic. He's a great dribbler. Also loves having a cracker goal from distance. And he's got mm. that South American bite as well. That means he loves sticking a foot in. Uh, the defensive side of his game could maybe do with a bit of work, but he looks as if he can play in any position across the midfield. And he's another player who will prove to be a strong contender for signing of the season. But considering Norwich got him for something like three million quid, it could end up being a ridiculous bit of business when you consider how he how much he could go in the future. He's only 22. And I'm getting Emmy Brandia vibes with that, where they signed him for a pittance and then sell him for 30-something million a few years later. He, he's just a marvellous player from what we've seen of him so far. And this comes as well, Justin, just as I was questioning the sporting director, Stuart Webber's transfer record. <laughs> I still think it's not as good as it's made out to be, but he does have a good habit of finding some diamonds in the rough. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, you know, I imagine with every five players you sign, two or three are very meh. One, one is you know okay, and then one is really, really good. And I think that's just a normal, perhaps a normal thing. Um, but I think with with Nunez, um, it's, it's it's a very good signing. It's a very good investment. And Norwich have um, stood the next out quite significantly to to bring him in. If you look at last season, the likes of Rashidska, uh, for example, uh, and that's one of the players I was alluding to with just getting him off the wage bill, getting him out of the club. Um, it's it was it wasn't a good investment, um, and I think that's 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 going to define Weber over the long term. Is is the signings that they're signing now are completely different to the signings they were signing four or five years ago? Timo Puki was a free transfer, for example. So Norwich are battling uh, are batting in a different in a different ballpark to what they were, yeah, five five or six years ago. 
Yeah, getting back on track, as we were saying, Nunes is the main reason why Norwich's business gets a big gets a big thumbs up from us. And Ramsey, not that one on loan from Villa, looks a talented player in midfield too. Gabriel Soros, the big headliner, isn't he? The Brazilian midfielder who cost at least six million pounds. I've seen some reports that it's possibly even nine million. But he's only started one league game so far, which is potentially quite frightening. Because it could mean Norwich are only going to get better, considering they've started so well. Alternatively, he may struggle to adapt and end up being a big flop, but we'll give him the benefit of the doubt for now. The other signing is Isaac Hayden, who's been injured and is a big shithouse. Overall, I'd say it's a very good window for Norwich. Could go down as an amazing window if Sara turns out to be a top-quality player, <laughs> Justin. Yeah, spot on. I think with Norwich, they had a very good squad. Uh, and I say they need to move the players on who probably weren't up to it at championship level and they've brought in some really really talented players um might not have been a big overhaul like some teams but the fact that they've been able to identify key areas that needed to be addressed so um I've, I've completely forgot the manager's name now Dean, Dean Smith, Smith. <laughs> I nearly said Dean Wilder god it's uh, <laughs> it's a bit earlier than when, when we usually record <laughs> Um, but yeah, but they managed to um, bring in players who could play his uh, his system, which is mainly a four three three, and be a bit more solid as well. Absolutely, Justin. Who we got sixth? We've got Luton, um, and the fact that t- they were able to sign uh, Colton Morris and Corley Woodrow to are uh, two huge statements, I think, um, from a team who you probably wouldn't have expected to to, to go out and pay decent fees for plays. Um, and I think that's a massive statement of intent, as I say. Either one of those, Woodrow and Morris, that is, could have gone to a club with a big budget, I think, with with aspirations of, of pushing for a top two. Um, but Luton were the, the team that um, that went in for him, and I think they're going to benefit massively from having two players who are very consistent at championship level. Um, and as I say, uh, if, if you're looking for a, a goal scorer, Colton Morris has got the package. If you're looking for a, a, a number nine who can play a little bit deeper, be a bit more withdrawn for it, I think Corley Woodrow is a good signing. And they're the two. They're the two um, main sort of yeah, the, the main takeaways from their transfer window. But the fact they managed to address the goalkeeper situation as well with Ethan Hawthorne and Matt Macy. I think Alfie Doherty adds steps to that left hand side. He gives Amari Bell um, the chance to play as a left sided centre back as well if needed. Um, and then Luke Freeman, I think, adds a lot of quality in that final third. And um, for a free transfer, it's a good signing. So it's been a really good window, I think, for Luton investing in their squad. Yeah, Morris has come in for around £2 million and has been absolutely excellent, hasn't he? And then Woodrow, as you say, signed for a similar price. Hasn't featured too much yet, but we all know what he is capable of at this level. And they're, they're both good ages as well. Uh, Luke Freeman's been a bit of a surprise for me. He's been a good player at championship level in the past, but it's been a good couple of years since we've seen that player. But he's been good this season. They've also signed a bunch of young players who are very much there for the future. I haven't been too convinced with Hawthorne in goal yet, but there's always time for him to make amends there. Overall, despite losing arguably their best player from last season in Cal Smith, Luton have got stronger for me in terms of the personnel available to them. Sure, we might not see it yet in terms of results, but I think it will start to show as the season goes on. Plus, when you're a team like Luton, who you know haven't got the biggest of wage budgets, it usually struggle to have a squad that's got loads of depth in it. Luton have, and mm-hmm. that's a big positive for them. All the players there have been brought with the style of playing in mind, and that's just what Luton do. They've simply got one of the best recruitment teams in the country, haven't they? This window probably wasn't a shining example of that, but it says a lot about 
how good their recruitment is when this window is not necessarily a highlight of how good their <laughs> recruitment team is, yet was still a bloody good window. Justin, let's have a quick break. After that, we'll get on to our top five, plus all the news from the championship over the past few days. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Right, we're carrying on our top 24 windows from the summer in the Championship. And we're into our top five. And in fifth place, we have Sheffield United. And it's time to ring the bell again for another player who could very well go down as signing of the season, maybe even player of the season, if his early performances are anything to go by. Mm-hmm. Arnel Ahmed Hozic has been absolutely at immense at the back so far, hasn't he, Justin? He cost five million quid, so you'd expect a good return anyway. And he's duly delivered on that and more. We've spoken about him plenty of occasions on this show so far, so I don't want to use up too much time repeating what we've said numerous times. But it could end up being an excellent investment if it ends up getting Sheffield United back to the Premier League and when you consider what he could be worth in two or three seasons' time. Yeah, spot on. Um, it, when you pay a lot of money for a player, um, you you need to expect them to hit a level much higher than the one they're currently on and much higher than the one that made you justify paying £5 million, for example, for, for a defender. Um, and yeah, Ahmed Ozic is one of those players who's, who's going to hit, I think, a very, very high ceiling. Um, whether that's with uh, Sheffield United or whether he hits that ceiling with another club and Sheffield United benefit from 20, 25 million pounds um, is, is another question. But yeah, it's, it's a really good investment on a in a defence that I think needed it. It was obviously an ageing um, defence. And he's come in and added um, a lot more to it than than what they currently had, which is, again, really exciting. Um, and I think just rounds off of what was a very, very good transfer window for Sheffield United. Absolutely. I mean, Akma Hazic is, without a doubt, the big highlight. But the remaining transfer business has been made up of players who improve the squad depth, provide competition, mm-hmm. and are also very capable of stepping into the team when called upon. Raider Kadra has been great coming off the bench, giving them extra energy up front and was very impressive at Blackburn last season. Tommy Doyle was excellent in midfield on loan at Cardiff and has been called upon on multiple occasions this season already. James McAtee also in midfield, highly rated at Man City, so very handy player to have in the squad. Hasn't really featured too much yet, but he's not a bad player to have at your disposal, is he? And then Kieran Clark's an experienced defender been playing Premier League football for the last few seasons of his career and has only been kept out the side so far because of injury and the form of Sheffield United's other centre-halves. So Sheffield United knew that they didn't have to rip everything up and start again. It just needed mm-hmm. that bit extra and it's ended up being a very smart window in my book. Yeah, and I think that they've been able to add those quality young players I think is massively important to what was an ageing squad. If you look at the squad that was promoted a couple of seasons ago under Wilder, there hasn't been too much change, um, especially the one that spent the first season in the Premier League as well. So adding the likes of Tommy Doyle, Rita Kadra, James McAtee into those key positions in midfield gives them a lot more energy. Um, so whether they're starting games or coming on late in the games, it gives Sheffield United quality, energy and yeah, a lot more um, uh, yeah, endeavour to press uh, and, and deploy that press at a hecking bottom wants to deploy uh, especially in that final third I just say I think Kieran Clark's a very good solid player at this level as well so yeah again a bit like Norwich already had a very good squad 
added a lot of quality to that squad and much needed depth because their injury record is ridiculous. Um, so yeah, what, what what could have been, again, a relatively poor window for Sheffield United turned out to be very, very positive. And the injury, I say crisis, but I'm using that with brackets, injury <laughs> crisis hasn't really been felt at all, has it, because of yeah. the amount of depth they've got in this squad. Just looking at your list, Justin, do you still think Bristol City's window was better than Sheffield United's? <laughs> uh, I do, yeah, I do. I think in a similar position Bristol City already had a good squad and they added uh, a lot of quality to it a lot of permanent quality that adds a lot of value to their squad whereas Sheffield United added a fair few loan players within uh, Ahmed Hozic uh, yeah a lot of loan players so in terms of value Bristol if City we're going to two players just in two players on who have made Mark Sykes Cal Smith, that's it and Kane Wilson he's not played yeah but he's he's still a permanent signing and he's, he's, I don't think we've, we we yet to see him um, hit. Well, we're not we're not, we yet to see him get going yet, um, which again is a, is a major positive because the Bristol City fall into a category that you've already mentioned with some teams is they will get better. Utter bollocks. Fourth place, <laughs> we've got West Brom. Uh, Jed Wallace, John Swift. Need we say any more? Well, th- that's it, isn't it? They were probably the two of the most sought after players when it came to fans linking clubs, uh, linking their well, linking players with their clubs. Um, and West Brom got both of them. Um, it was a, you know, I, in some senses, it was probably a dreamy window for West Brom fans. They still needed quite a few, quite a few more additions. But Jed Wallace and John Swift, yeah, uh, to get that, to add that into their attack, which was already a very good attack. And last season, it was a, um, <laughs> it was a, it was an attack that should have finished in the playoffs if it wasn't for some chronic underperforming. Yeah, it's quite frightening, and yeah, it's probably yeah, this exact reason why West Brom feature quite highly in this list. Yeah, and we all know how good those two are. Despite West Brom's tedious start to the season, they honestly don't look a step off the players that they have been. I mean, poor Jed Wallace. It's absolutely criminal that this guy has got one assist so far because I've watched him put it on a plate for his <laughs> fellow attackers on so many occasions this season. If they just had someone, anyone who could put the ball into the back in there, it would be a very different story for West Brom. I've got no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon Thomas-Asante could be that man. Young striker who's come in from Salford. Uh, Salford sorry. He's really impressed me. Two goals to his name in three games and has looked an exciting player. Okay, Yukuzlu has been good to have back in the base of midfield. Jason Malumbi's joined on a permanent deal after being on loan. Still not sure about him, but he's still young. I think maybe they could have done with some defensive reinforcements, mm-hmm. but in terms of the names they brought in, Justin, and how good these players are, you can't really criticise those players who have come in too much, can you? No, you can't. Uh, and I think the fact that we're raving about Wallace and Swift so much, and actually from a West Brom fan's perspective, it was Yukosler who was the the uh, the exciting one for them. Um, I think goes a long way to saying how how good a signing that was, um, and just how good of a window overall they've had. But as you say, they they could have brought in um, an extra central defender. I think the fact that they've allowed Kipre to go um, out on loan, I think possibly was a mistake about bringing in somebody else. I know, uh, yeah, a goalkeeper in hindsight would have been a, a a really important position to add to because David Button has been um, how do I Chris say Beckett hands. Yeah, he's he's been a bit soft, hasn't he? In goal, um, hands are made of butter, shall we say? Or oh, he's got butter on his all over his. Anyway, enough of this slander. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's been um, it's been a window. Uh, sorry, it's been a, it's been a start to a season where the defenders have underperformed and the goalkeepers underperformed, and I think that's showing because um, it needs to add quality in those areas. Um, and I think one two players we're overlooking uh, is Martin Kelly and Eric uh, Pieters. And whilst they're not signings that will get you off your seats, they're both versatile, they're both experienced, and they're both incredibly solid low risk signings. So I think they're they're good additions to the squad. Yeah, I was going to give them a mention. <laughs> we talk about defensive reinforcements. You've got two players here who've played a lot of minutes at Premier League level. So yeah. if Furlong, Townsend, any other defenders or fullbacks who I'm missing off the top of my head um, start, their performance levels start dipping, then they're very good players to have coming, mm. aren't they? Let's, let's be honest about that. In third place, Justin, who have we got? We've got Millwall, um, and for me, I think Millwall. I think I put them top. I hope I put them top because I think Millwall have had the best window in the league. Um, and the reason why, if you ignore the inconsistencies this season, they've addressed every single issue they had in the summer. Every single issue they had last season, they addressed it. Firstly, goals were an issue. Um, obviously, Benikafobi didn't wasn't going to return on loan. He was actually going to play for. He was going to sign for Club Brugge. Um, so therefore he's been playing European football but he came in on a permanent deal Andres Vlogslammer I think is an interesting signing and adds depth into that final third as well um, and obviously Zian Fleming adds that X factor in midfield that they would have been missing through Jed Wallace obviously he's not got going yet but I, I expect him to get going um, and I think the two the two more standout signings actually are probably George Honeyman and, and Jamie Shackleton um, and Callum Stiles actually because then they, they now fit um a different style of play for Millwall, which is more pressing, more on the front foot, um, and more aggressive. As I say, in that in in that press. So as I say, if you look, if you're talking about teams who had issues, address them, improve upon them, and actually have a better squad than they had last season, Millwall, uh, yeah, tick every box. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that too much. Shackleton hasn't been amazing so far mm. since joining on loan from Leeds, but I think he will end up being a good sign. And Cresswell's been great despite the odd defensive clangor here and there Callum Stiles is the one for me who's such a good signing he's so versatile such a hard worker and has a lovely left foot he also brings a lot of European flair to the team as well because he's a Hungarian international don't ask where he was born it'll be interesting to see if he joins permanently because he left Barnsley on loan but signed a new contract with a release clause in it so I'm not sure what happens after this season with him. I've never heard anything like that before in my life. Just weird. So, yeah, very weird. Uh, let's go to the team we have second, Justin, and that is Hull City. Now, if we ignore their recent form, this has been a transfer window that has transformed Hull. Last season, they probably would have been in more danger of going down if it wasn't for other teams having points deductions. But the players they brought in should have them looking towards the top half of the table at least. Mm. Oscar Stupinen has been the highlight so far. The question was, will he be able to settle quickly enough? Seven goals in his first six games. Has failed to score since, but we'll let that pass because he should be able to amass a good tally this season. Jean-Michel Serri is the marquee signing. Nearly moved to Barcelona just a few seasons ago and was most recently part of that Fulham squad that smashed its way to promotion last season Fulham wanted to keep him, or Fulham fans wanted to keep him anyway. He will give Hull much more controlling games. Ozan 2 fans impressed me in spells. There have just been a lot of other players who have come in as well who generally should just improve the overall quality of the team. And 
that's why this whole team should be doing a lot better than they are right now and I think eventually will be doing a lot better. Depends on who's in charge really, Justin. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a case of if, if, if success doesn't follow them this season, it probably will next season. Whatever that success is, um, whether that's playoffs, promotion or a, or a finish that justifies the investment that um, uh, Ilicali's put in. But you've pretty much nailed it. Seri, Tufan, Estupinan, really good signings. And then you mix that with some solid championship signings in Woods, Christie, Figueredo. It's been a, a well-balanced window. Then you've got the likes of Sayed, Manesh, Tete, really good prospects. I know Tete's sort of mid-20s anyway, but he's showed flashes of quality. And then there's Palkas, who Hull fans are really, really excited about. So there's a, yeah, there's a good window, probably more measured than I thought he'd be. Um, I thought he'd be a lot more scattergunny. And then they've added some some decent loan players as well to boost, boost the squad. And then I think the the news that really does uh, toast everything for Hull was the fact that Jacob Greaves signed a new deal as well, um, which is massive. I know Keane Lewis Potter left, but he brought in a lot of money to the club, which actually gives Hull a lot more of a um, cushion to invest a lot more into the team over the next two windows. Yeah, Lewis Potter leaving was a good deal for everyone wanted that yeah. one. Uh, one player to keep an eye on out, uh, keep an eye out for Justin, who you haven't mentioned so far, Dogican Cynic. He's a Turkish winger, signed for a few million, hasn't played mm-hmm. yet because of injury, but is expected to feature soon. So could be a very exciting player for Hull. The only downside for me from this window is I think they could have done with another centre-half or two. I have not been impressed with Tobias Figueredo so far, not just because he had a shocker against Swansea last weekend. I just don't really rate him too highly. That goes back to when he was at Forest as well. Mm-hmm really not convinced about him as a defender but overall this squad is much better than last season it's much better than where they are in the table as well is Shotter of Aladzi the man to get the most out of this squad I don't think so but we'll see finally Justin the team we have top now is worth mentioning me and Justin didn't have this team top of our respective tables but it's one who we could both agree deserve to be top because Without a doubt, they have had just such a fantastic transfer window, and that's Burnley. They've taken a rather novel approach to this transfer window. Quite often we see teams get relegated from the Premier League and throw money at players who have been warming the branch in the Premier League and are more often than not past their best in a desperate attempt to get promoted at the first time of asking. But Burnley have taken a moment and thought, well, what if we don't do that? And we make a young squad that will be strong next season as well even if they don't get promoted and help us in the long term and I think that's really got to be admired they've signed 15 players permanently this summer and the oldest one is Josh Cullen who's at the ripe old age of 26 they've also signed five young lads on loan who I think are five players Burnley will fancy their chances of getting permanently if they want them the key thing is though all these players have been bought with Vincent Company's philosophy in mind and it feels like other clubs towards the top end of the table have brought in players and not done that so for that I think Burnley deserve a lot of credit for doing this transfer window the right way yeah I couldn't agree more um I know I, I know I said I had my wall top but actually Burnley's window has, has been in um, incredible and I know there is a risk to the signings whether or not they settle but if you think how rough the summer could have been, how rough the summer was speculated to be. Obviously, there was that, there was that looming debt from the takeover still hanging over the club. There was a lot of players who left, the likes of Tarkovsky, Ben Mee, really important, experienced players. 
Um, and as well as that, there was the players who were picked off by Premier League clubs. But actually, Burnley have brought in quite a lot of money um, from those players so they can invest into their team. And as you say, I think the most important thing is players have been brought in to play Vincent Kompany's style of play, which I think is such a huge statement of intent from Burnley um, and a huge statement of uh, reassurance for Vincent Kompany that he is the man, that they see him as the man to, to take them into back into the Premier League. But I think the important thing that you alluded to was the the profile of the players that they signed. They signed some really good technical players, but all of those players, apart from Cullen, every single player they've signed is 25 and under. It's a young squad. And again, you say, well, that's a risk signing all these young players. But actually, that's well balanced out by the likes of Charlie Taylor, Jack Cork, Jay Rodriguez, some really experienced players already in that Burnley squad. Um, and for me, that's a really, really important thing to have. It's a really good blend. Um, the likes of Teller and Martson have been really good signings. Howard Bellis has played incredible, in, I think, in defence. Scott Twine and um, Luke McNally haven't yet featured much or at all in a Burnley shirt. And they're two players who have such a high ceiling, I think. And when they come in, that Burnley team's only going to get better. And then you've got the likes of Churlinov and Bastion who have looked like really good prospects in their, in their appearances so far. So it's been a really, really good window. Um, and I don't think you can argue that any other owner has backed their manager in a way that Burnley have backed company this summer. Yeah, spot on. Um, Scott Twine's the one I'm really excited to see, even though he hasn't featured at all. Actually, he did He did play against the like 45 minutes, yeah. I think, yeah. Apart from that, not really featured at all. I think it's because of injury, but I'm still so, so excited to see what he can do in this Burnley team because he just seems like such a supremely talented boy. Right, Justin, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and Paul Warren has left Rotherham to manage Derby County. He signed a four-year deal with the League One side. Justin, a shock? <laughs> yes, uh, it was a shock. Um, uh, it's obviously quite difficult to comment because I'm a Derby fan, but I think from a Rotherham perspective, it came out of the blue. There was links to Huddersfield earlier on in the day so you automatically start to think okay agents have started talking perhaps he's just trying to wing a better deal but I don't think Paul Warren's that way inclined um, so yeah it, it was um, it was quite a shock and it happened incredibly quickly um, and I think you've got to credit Rotherham with the way they've handled it um, because it, they could have easily stood stood firm and said no he's not going anywhere he's ours um, but they didn't stand in his way and I think that's a sort of such a um, nice relationship for for a club to have between their manager and um, and yeah and the club. Um, so yeah, it was a surprise, especially with Rotherham, where Rotherham are currently sat now as well. They've had a really good start to the season, um, but I think perhaps Paul Warren's probably just thinking he's taken Rotherham as far as he can go, and it might be the right time for him to to start a new chapter in his career. I don't think it is a big shot because I think the vast majority of people would have done the same thing if they were in Paul Warren's shoes. Despite being the league below, Derby and Rotherham are just incomparable in terms of club size. If he gets Derby promoted, then he's in charge of one of the biggest and most well-supported clubs outside the Premier League. And they're sat in the Championship. He's laughing, isn't he, if that does happen. Plus, I've got no insider knowledge on this, but I'm going to assume he's being paid rather well at Derby. And people, fans will talk about things like loyalty with managers but when you get offered a four-year contract and a big pay rise you can't blame managers for taking that at the end of the day they're human beings Justin and I think everyone else would do the same thing 
if you got offered a big contract and a big pay rise at another company, you're going to take it, aren't you? In no other in no other line of work does loyalty get spoken about apart from when it comes to football for some reason. So I think it's a shame from a Rotherham perspective because he's a bit of a club legend there. And we've always said it'll be interesting to see how Paul Warren does at a bigger club with a bigger, bigger budget. We're about to find out that with him at Derby now, aren't we? So interesting times there. The next question is... What next for Rotherham, Justin? Well, Richard Wood and Lee Peltier taking training, aren't they? Which I find absolutely incredible. Um, and obviously, if they do well, then perhaps they deserve a chance. But I think this could actually spark um, spark something p- pretty positive for Rotherham. Um, obviously, Paul Warns pr- got them promoted three times out of League One, but also they've been relegated um, relegated three times or two times under him um, in the, in the same. Uh, yeah, in the same time. So this could actually spark a, a, a new spell for Rotherham. Um, but what they need to get the import, uh, appointment right, um, whoever it is. I know it sounds so obvious to say, um, but someone of a similar philosophy to Warren, who perhaps has a different mindset than 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 Warren does at Rotherham, because especially at Championship level, perhaps the the mindset is to you know, work hard, take your chances, um, and not necessarily demand more out of the players whereas if you go in and get a manager who will demand a lot more and ask for high standards not saying Warren didn't but you know someone who has experience of the championship and can really drive that team forward to 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 help them push to the potential of their players um I think is yeah is it is the way they need to go the route they need to go down I think Paul Warren's left them in a good position they've had a great start to the season and the squad's possibly the strongest it's been in the time that Warren's been there My worry is that I still expect Rotherham to be fighting relegation this season, despite results so far. And I think Paul Warren gave them the best chance of staying up. He made the players there better and into a unit. And I worry that they may lose that without him. Whoever the new manager is will have one simple simple task, and that's keep Rotherham up. That's it. And the best way to keep doing that is just carry on the good work that Warren's done this season. But for my money, Paul Warren is a very, very good manager who's just lacked the resources um, to take Rotherham to the next level. And that worries me because I think Rotherham will do well to attract a manager as good as Paul Warren. And because Rotherham aren't the biggest club. They don't have much in the way of resources and won't be able to offer a big fat contract to the next manager. I think they may struggle to attract many candidates. So I think they're going to have to take a risk, whoever is coming in. Someone who has possibly been out of work for a while. Someone who is looking to make that step into management who hasn't had much of a chance yet. Um, Whoever that may be has got a big old task on their hands to keep Rotherham in in the Championship because, as we've seen in recent years, they've always struggled to do it, even when Paul Warren is in charge, no matter how highly we rate him. Let's move on, Justin. In other news, João Pedro has signed a new long-term contract at Watford. It keeps him at the club until 2028. Justin, how on earth have they convinced him to sign this? Maybe a release course. Um, uh, Obviously, higher paid, that, that usually helps, as you just alluded to, Paul Warren. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a massive massive uh, plus for Watford to not only get Pedro to sign a new deal, but also that the fact that that will maximise his value to its its top 
unless there's a release cause in there. Um, I think, yeah, is is a big is a big benefit for Watford. Um, I think if you consider his performances, he's probably had his most promising um, most promising fit of form uh, this season than he has displayed in in any of his previous seasons, and he's showing exactly what his potential is. So to give him a new deal is a massive statement of intent for Watford for convincing him that perhaps his long-term future is, is best served at Vicarage Road rather than anywhere else. Well, you say that. I do wonder if Watford have said to him, look, if you sign this new deal, we'll give you a big pay rise and then we'll sell you <laughs> if the right amount comes Cynic. in for you. Well, can you really see João Pedro staying up Vicarage Road until 2028, Justin? Because... Well, go on. Maybe. Maybe. Really? Uh, I, don't, I don't... I mean, he might not see out his deal, but I'd say he maximises his value for the club and I think that's a, a major plus and he gets a, a pay rise in that in the same time. Um, will he sell out his contract to 2028? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but what he does... I think he's, it's he's, very he's, unlikely, he's, Justin. Yeah, but he's going to give Watford um, a lot of good years of football. Um, and as I say, I, I think... I mean, they've they've had... They've done it previously where they managed to convince players to stay for a lot longer than they probably should have. Gerald Delafaya, for example, is another one that springs to mind. Troy Deeney stayed at a club um, perhaps longer than maybe everybody anticipated because of how well he took to the Premier League. Um so Watford do have previous have managed to convince him good players to stay at the club. So oh, Ishmael Asar is another one. He stayed there a lot longer than I thought he would. Yeah, but I don't think he's going to be here for another six years just now. I think, I think you're living in cuckoo land if you think that's the case. I think it's a great position for Watford to be in because they'll be able to ask for a lot more money than they would have previously. Um, but I, I cannot see him staying for the foreseeable future just because he is such a talented boy and has got the world at his feet for me. Uh, elsewhere, Joby Belligan uh, signed his first pro contract at Birmingham. He's got a brother called Jude. You may have heard of him. This is an interesting one, Justin. Wasps, the rugby team, have announced they intend to appoint administrators. Now, you may be thinking, why the hell are you talking about rugby? Well, they're, of course, the owners of the Coventry Building Society Arena, where Coventry City are playing at the moment, it's unclear if this will have any effect on the Sky Blues. Although, my thinking is, Justin, if Wasps end up being desperate for money, could they sell the stadium? Keep an <laughs> eye on it. Speaking of stadiums, Sunderland's The Stadium of Light has reportedly been shortlisted to be one of the host stadiums for Euro 2028. The UK and Ireland are set to launch a joint bid to host it. And we'll finish on two championship legends. Adele Tarapt has joined El Nasser in the UAE. He was a free agent after leaving Benfica. I was really hoping we might see him back in the championship, Justin, even if it did seem very unlikely. And Charlie Adam has announced his retirement from football. Will always be a championship legend for that Blackpool free kick in the playoff final won't he Justin mm-hmm. yeah no no doubt about that um, supremely talented player in his first spot in the championship maybe had to play a little bit deeper um, because of his legs possibly yeah getting a bit older but yeah what a what a player what a what a left foot and um, yeah what a few seasons he gave us for Blackpool and as I say legend in the championship legend at Blackpool legend at Reading Maybe, maybe not, but no, no legend at Stoke as well, actually. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's had good spells everywhere, really. Apart from I everybody. think I think he was a very underrated player, and yeah. people people will always remember him for, you know, being very slow, um, and also <laughs> that that bit where he tripped over trying to take a corner. Yeah, um, yeah. but he was a very good player. I mean, he signed for Liverpool for 
what was it, 15 million quid or so? So there's obviously yeah. a player there. He was a fantastic passer. In terms of technical ability, he was a top quality player. Um, and it's always nice when they've started their career in the championship as well. And that Blackpool free kick is one of the best goals I've ever seen in a playoff final. So, yeah, best of luck with your career, Charlie. I think he's going into punditry. I think he's also doing coaching, coaching. matches. So mm-hmm. whichever whichever route he decides to go down, I'm sure he'll be very successful. Now it's time for a little game we like to call Scott High or Ryan Low. It's essentially higher or lower. I'll give Justin eight numbers and he's got to tell me whether the number is higher or lower than the one before. This week, Justin, it's a transfer fee edition. I'm going mm-hmm. to give you some players, Justin, and I want you to think of the most money they've ever cost in a single transfer. So if I say Andy Carroll... The most money he's ever moved for is? 35 million. Exactly. So you get what I'm saying now. So your first number is 12 million, Justin. Your first player is Peter Crouch. Is the highest fee anyone has ever paid for Peter Crouch higher or lower than 12 million? Uh, that's tough. I think I think Portsmouth would have overpaid for him when he signed for them. So I'm going to say higher. It's Ryan Lowe. Portsmouth paid 11 million for him in 2008, so just slightly below. Just in good start. So that's one, uh, well, zero out of one so far. Your new number is 11 million. Next up is Crouchy's best mate, or at least I assume it is because they always played together. Jermaine Defoe. Has anyone ever paid more than 11 million for Jermaine Defoe? Yeah, I think he went to Spurs for something like 18 in one of his spells. So yeah, higher. It is indeed Scott High. The most he's ever cost is 15 million when he moved to Spurs for the second time. So that's one out of two for you, Justin. Uh, Your new number is 15 million. Your next player is Andy Johnson. Do you think anyone has ever paid higher or lower than uh, than 15 million for Andy Johnson? This is bold Andy Johnson, not long-haired Andy Johnson. Yes. Okay. Uh, So... He went to Palace on a free, and I think he signed for Everton for like eight million. Probably moved to Fulham for like four million. So I'm going to say lower. He moved to Fulham for ten and a half million in 2008. So it was lower. You're right, but they paid a lot more what? for him than uh, than you thought he needed. Uh, so your new number is ten and a half million. Jonathan Woodgate is your new player. Has anyone ever paid more than ten and a half million pounds for him? Yeah, I think Newcastle spent a fair wedge on him and Real Madrid would have spent a decent fee on him as well. So I'm going to say high. I don't know what those fees would be, but certainly higher, yeah. Ten and a half million, Justin. Think about when yeah. Jonathan Woodgate was around. Yeah, it's 2004. Have some respect. Not that old. Like 12 million. 2004 was... Uh, if you're talking, you know, how many figures is that? Eight figures in 2004. That's a lot of money. Yeah, no, I, I think um, I think Real Madrid were, were silly. I think they would have paid like £12 million for him. You're not far off. It is Scott High. Real Madrid paid £13.5 million for him in that infamous mm-hmm. move where I think he got sent off and scored an own goal on his debut. Uh, so that means you've got three out of four, Justin. Your new number is £13.5 million. Your new player is Yakubu. Has anyone ever stumped up more than £13.5 million for him? They should have. They should have. Um, I but I don't think they did. He was a good player. Oh, he's a, he's a cult hero for any any fan of yeah Premier League football. Um, he's a cult hero. But I, I want to say that Middlesbrough probably only paid around sort of ten million for him when they brought him in from 
Portsmouth. And I think that was his ceiling figure. It is Ryan Lowe, but it was actually Everton who paid the most money for him. They paid eleven million for him in two thousand seven. I'm not sure how much Middlesbrough paid for him. I haven't got that in front of me. But your new number is eleven million. You have got four out of five, Justin. You're going very well. Uh, new number is eleven million. Next up is Dean Ashton. Did anyone ever decide to fork out more than eleven million for Dean Ashton? I can't remember how much West Ham paid for him now, and that that feels like a long time ago. Um, Do you want me to tell you what year uh, it was? It was 2005, wasn't it? 2006. Uh, it was January 2006, so 506. Yeah, he got relegated with Norwich that season before. Uh, uh, I'm going to say, what was the figure? 10? 11. 11. Uh, I'm going to say lower. You're absolutely spot on. He cost West Ham seven and a quarter million in 2006. That means you've got five out of six, Justin. This is going very well. You're doing much better than you usually do. Um, so seven and a quarter million is your new number. Emil Heskey is next up. Is the most anyone has ever paid for him higher or lower than that? It's really hard because some of these players may have been uh, you know, a bit laughable for the younger audience. But actually, these were bloody good players at one point in their careers. Um, but I don't think anyone ever paid What's the figure again? Eleven million. Seven and a quarter million. Oh, okay. Uh I think I think eight million pounds is ceiling figure. Who do you reckon spent that much on him? I want to say Wigan brought him in from Liverpool. No, it's Birmingham. Yeah, Wigan's Wigan brought him in from Birmingham. It is Scott High, but you were getting the clubs completely <laughs> wrong on this. It was <laughs> Liverpool who paid eleven million for him from Leicester oh. when he was just a young gun. Um okay. I think I'm right in saying that looking at all the other transfer fees, they were all below seven and a quarter million, but I thought Liverpool might catch you out. Um, so you've managed to fluke your way to six out of seven, Justin. This is your final number. Uh, it's 11 million, as you know, and your final player is Craig Bellamy. Is his highest fee higher or lower than 11 million? God knows. I, West Ham, Blackburn... Man City, Liverpool twice, uh, Newcastle. I think, I don't think a club's ever paid more than ten million pounds for him in any of his spells. He's had so many moves. I don't think any club's ever paid that much. Just consistently him. been that much every single time. Just nine million pounds every single time. So I'm going to say Ryan Lowe. Man City paid fourteen million for him Jeez. in two thousand and nine, so it was indeed Scott High. That means you've got a final score just in of six out of eight. Are you happy with that? Yeah, yes, yeah, a decent one. This Scott High and Ryan Lowe is always difficult, especially with transfer fees for some really okay-ish Premier League players. Yeah, I was going to do it Championship themed, but I just knew you'd you get eight out of eight on yeah, all of them. Smash that, yeah. yeah well, it's, it's because where like if it, if it was British on Belonga, for example, you just know. He cost 15 million when he went to mm -hmm. Middlesbrough that time. It would be too easy for you. So I thought I'd throw in the Premier League ones in there because that's your weakness. Um, but there we go, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. This has been the second tier. We'll be back again on Thursday for a preview episode of all the games coming up in the Championship next weekend. So we look forward to seeing you then. But a big thank you for listening to us on this special edition of the second tier over the international break. Thank you if you listened to both episodes. And as always, if you could just leave 
a rating and a review on whichever platform you're listening to us on. That will go down very well with us and we'll be eternally grateful. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Brian Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.